Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winston, and joining me on the line as he does every week is Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, very well. When I good to be here doing the pod, if, if there's a massive amount of noise, it'll be one of the three nine-year-old girls I've got currently having a sleepover <laughs> in the other room. Sounds um, like a great night for you, Caddy. <laughs> that are high, high on lollies and chocolate, so if they make too much noise, I'll um I'll try and quiet them down, but nah, good to, good to be back, and apologies for being a, a day late this week. That's all right, mate. I'm sure our loyal fan base can wait uh, one extra day to listen to it, mate. Um, yeah, and it's obviously an, a, an intriguing time in the, in the NBA season. We're down to the the conference finals in in both sides of the draw. But uh, before we jump in and chat about those, but after we spoke last week, we had Game Seven the day after, and it was obviously disastrous result, Caddy, for for Philly when they lost Game Seven to Atlanta. And obviously, the big news out of that has been Ben Simmons. And what can they do about the fact that Ben Simmons isn't contributing enough for them? Um, across the seven last, uh, across the seven fourth quarters, he was three for three, sorry, and took three shots across across the seven last quarters, and actually didn't even attempt a field goal in the field goal in the last four games, which is extraordinary. And his averages for the series at nine point nine points a game, six point three rebounds, and eight point six assists is just way down on what you'd expect a guy of his caliber to produce. And last time, actually, they made the. The, the conference semis as well. He, his numbers were right down to 11.6 points a game and only 4.9 assists. So we've seen him now shrink in the biggest moments when Philly have needing, needed him in consecutive playoffs. And, you know, he, his shooting's an issue. He's, his free throw shooting only shot 34% um, from the free throw line during that series, which is the, the wor- uh, during the playoffs, in fact, which is the worst uh, percentage in NBA history, in NBA postseason history in on, on anyone that's attempted at least 70 free throw attempts. So where do you see Philly going from here, Katie? There were some interesting comments made by both Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers after the game about Ben Simmons, which is really unusual to hear. From, you know, teammates and coaches generally stick up, stick up for their teammates, but that, that they had a bit of a crack at him. And it would appear on the surface to be probably they're going to look to move him on, or do you, can you foresee him actually staying there and they're going to try and rebuild this relationship? Yeah, it was absolutely fascinating to see how it all finished out. Like, it was just a flame out, really, by the end of the Sixers. And, you know, when you're looking at it, it was Ben Simmons that was the um, the elephant in the room with it all because of just the – you've gone through the stats and just the lack of, you know, the lack of want to be even um, involved from a shot-making position. They, You know, we questioned it you know, many times throughout the season that it was the Achilles heel for Simmons and he needed to be more aggressive and, and be more of a, a threat on offense. And it just – had gone. It just went further and further backwards as the deeper the, the playoffs went to a point where, you know, they had to pull him off the court. Essentially, he, he wasn't able to contribute. Um, you mentioned the free throw shooting was was terrible as well. So it was just a real lack of confidence in the end for Simmons, and he he just looked a, a broken man almost. Like he doesn't give you a lot of um, expression at the best of times, but yeah, he looked basically a shadow of himself. And you know, the, the biggest key to it all, you know, moving forward is yeah. As you mentioned, whether it is sustainable this this mix of players, or, or whether they need to split up Embiid and Simmons, and that's been the question mark ever since they've really come together, and whether they're the best pairing to to get the best out of each other from a team point of view, but also individually. And um, you know, I, I'd probably side on the side that I think it's time now to to seriously explore, you know, moving probably Simmons out, and um, you know, giving Embiid. The Reigns, you know, he's already established himself as their number one player, but yeah, really building the team primarily around him and, and then hopefully giving Ben Simmons a similar opportunity at a different destination. And, you know, the question will then become, you know, what is the what's his worth? And we, we, we heard about the rumours surrounding a, the trade potentially with James Harden 
earlier in the season with Simmons being a, a focal point of that. You, you can only imagine that you know, with this postseason that his, his values probably had to have taken a significant hit. So um, it'll be really interesting to see where other, other franchises see an opportunity to bring Simmons in and at what price. So, so just on that, you mentioned there that you, you can't really see Simmons and Embiid uh, being able to work together long term, and I totally agree with that. So, is it is it really that clear cut that you you definitely keep Embiid? Like, this is a guy who has really struggled to stay on the floor. He's got the history of knee injuries and back injuries, and you know he, he just hasn't been able to. He, his best is very is obviously very good. He's the second second uh, in MVP this year. So there's there's no one can question his talent, but he, he's you got to question his ability to be able to stay on the floor uh, deep in the postseason run. So, are you happy from a Philadelphia? perspective to to put everything on Joel Embiid and, and hope that he's going to be able to carry you to a championship, which is ultimately what you want as a franchise. Yeah, look, I think, you know, potentially it'd be a, a riot in the city of Philadelphia if they look to... Oh, no doubt. It, it would be a ballsy oh, move, wouldn't it? To, but you'd oh, pro- oh, you you'd get more for an Embiid, wouldn't you? Oh, you'd, you'd have to think so. And, and you, meant, you mentioned, you know, the injury history. And again, you, there was reports that he was playing with a torn meniscus that would probably need to get fixed. You know, he's best part of seven foot three or whatever he is and guy with that Injury history and, and the body of that size, things generally do, will deteriorate pretty quickly. But I think they've got to give themselves an opportunity in the next you know one to two years to have a look at playing with Embiid as the key uh, focus point and seeing what else they can build around that. Because clearly, you know, there's been enough uh, of a sample size or more than enough of a sample size in the postseason as well as the regular season that they haven't haven't got enough just with Simmons and Embiid and the the process. Um, has probably come to a to a, to a flashpoint, I think, uh, in terms of moving forward because this was the opportunity in these Eastern semi-finals playing an un, you know an inexperienced Atlanta side and not being able to get the job done at home in a game seven. So um, I think the time is now to, to split it out and give 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 yourself another look because it's it's been two pretty pretty rough endings in the last two years in particular, um, and then the year before that, obviously they had. A, a, a tough ending with the Kawhi Leonard um, buzzer beater to knock him out in that year as well. So they, you know, they've been around enough now. They've had a, a, a few bites at, at the apple, and I think it's now time to, to to at least really seriously explore what they what they can now cash out and get for for a guy like Ben Simmons. So who are you looking at as as a potential trade partner? The biggest rumor, of course, going around is, is the Portland Trailblazers. You know, CJ McCollum. It seems like a, a reasonably logical uh, swap. It, it sort of gives obviously Philly another another scorer, another shooter to put around Joel Embiid. And uh, you know, the, the Achilles' heel for the Portland Trailblazers has been their defense. So you get a really good defender in Ben Simmons. I'm not con- overly convinced that that's a great mix with Lillard and uh, and Simmons. You know, there's could be a little bit clunky there. Uh, do you want to take the ball out of Lillard's hands too much? You know, how useful is Simmons going to be playing off the ball? Uh, the one that actually I don't I, I don't mind is maybe a Minnesota trade. You know, you, you got D'Angelo Russell and Malik, and Malik Beasley for a for a Simmons and a, and a Hill, a George Hill. You all of a sudden you, you put some sh- a bit more shooting around around Embiid. You could start a you could start Russell Curry Harris if you can hold on to. Uh, Danny Green is a is a free agent, uh, and and Embiid, and then bring and you're bringing Beasley off the bench, and we've seen Beasley been able to put up some really good numbers. So I think it gives it would give Philly a lot more scoring and shooting around Embiid, which is obviously the best case scenario. And then from a from a Minnesota perspective, their defense has been horrendous. So you know Anthony Edwards had a really promising rookie season, but his defense has got a long way to go. And so Carl Anthony Towns has always sort of been 
spoken about as somebody that could be a, a good defender, but we yet to see that. So if you throw in a really good perimeter defender around those two, I think that could be a bit of an interesting mix. What do you think about that one? Yeah, look, I think um, certainly Minnesota, you know, having to part with their draft pick this year, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on, you know, they're, they're going to have to look at trying to, you know, continue to rebuild on the fly going into next season. So, yeah, they, they'd certainly be a team that have some, you know, good young assets that potentially could um, appeal to to Philadelphia. So, you know, when, when you're talking Portland, obviously the, the the main talking point at the moment is around CJ McCullum, but you're just hearing, continue to hear murmurings around um, Damian Lillard and particularly, you know, the coaching search that currently have been going through and it looks like Chauncey Billups might have landed the job uh, there today. But, you know, if he's continuing to make some noise about being disgruntled, what, would there ever be a possibility, and I, don't, I would, haven't looked at it close enough around would, would there be a chance that Lillard could be that player on the move and, and Simmons being sort of a central part of what would go back and pairing Lillard with Joel Embiid? I think that would, for me, you know, really be be appealing from a Philadelphia point of view. Clearly, it's just whether or not there's enough um, trade assets that uh, would be uh, going back towards Portland. What would you think on that one? Oh, well, that'd be an outstanding duo, wouldn't it? Those two together, Lillard and Embiid, would be would be a really tough proposition for for any team in, in the Eastern Conference. Um, it would. It, You'd imagine that if Damian Lillard becomes available on the market, that there'd be a, a flurry of trade offers for the Portland Trailblazers and whether a, uh, Ben Simmons' trade package would be the best they could get, that would be the serious question. I mean, yeah, you get back a guy and you know his trade value is probably at the lowest ebb it's been in his career, but we know that he's certainly got a lot of ability and if you can surround him with the right pieces, um, you know that, that could be a good piece for Portland to get back. But you would think there would probably be some maybe some potential better offers on the market. You know, Simmons alone you wouldn't imagine is going to get it done. That after Philly don't have a lot of sort of really good draft capital available. So it would be certainly interest, interesting from a Philly perspective, but I'm not sure whether Portland would be satisfied with just that because you, you you'd you'd imagine they'd get a whole host of offers, wouldn't they? Yeah, look, you, you think it's going to be one of those monsters. If it was ever to happen, it'd be one of these – Deals that we're okay, the other just throwing their boatload of draft picks out. Yeah, it, 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 it depends what, be... yeah, it depends what angle they want to go. If they want to rebuild, or if they sort of want to rebuild and try and stay competitive, isn't it? Yeah, well, Portland's always been a team that have, have stayed reasonably competitive, um, just in the type of market that they are in. But you'd think any deal that you know if Lillard put his hand to trade, you know, they Portland have got the upper hand because you know they've just recently signed into that humongous uh, contract extension, which really only kicks in in the next season. So. You know, the ball is in their court to push for as much as they can get. And you'd think it'd have to be one of those packages that would include, you know, multiple, multiple first round picks and pick swaps and, you know, the whole the whole um, box and dice. And that's where Philly probably just aren't, aren't in it from that point of view. But, you know, whether, you know, you can you can get three, third or four teams involved. And, yeah, you know, I just sort of like the, the fit, you know, clearly with Embiid and Lillard, that'd be intriguing as a, a one two punch and it would be as good as any duo. In the league, but also Simmons then kind of having you know he, that fresh start he would need is probably their key piece with some still some really good shooting around yeah, it. He um, needs that. He he definitely needs a fresh start where maybe they do build around him, similar to the way. And he's not as good as Giannis, obviously, but that they surrounded Giannis with with some shooters, a, a shooting big man in Brook Lopez. So yeah, I, I I totally see where you're coming from. That that'd be that that'd that'd be the way to go from a Simmons perspective. Yeah, so it's just whether you know, firstly. Yeah, Philadelphia have probably got to make that decision. They, they've, they've, since that initial press conference that you mentioned after the games, where you know there, there was clearly some fault being laid at the feet of Ben Simmons. There's, you know, they they have come out and said, you know, they're going to, they've got plenty of plans that they're going to work on in the um, 
in the off season to be Might change his shooting hands for right. Yeah, right well, I mean, which is just crazy to think we're at, you know, unbelievable this far into his career and you're, you're still looking to make those type of humongous adjustments. So, yeah, look, for me, I, I think it, it's time and for all parties concerned, I think, you know, even for, for Simmons to, to turn back up in Philadelphia, I think, um, you know, a lot of his equity he's built with the fan base there has probably soured a little bit. Not too dissimilar to what he, what he might experience here in Australia Australia if he doesn't Oof. sit up um, in the green and gold for these Olympics. I think any um, you know super super fandom that he had down here will sort of dry up pretty quickly as, as well. He never, never pulls on that Boomers jersey. No, no doubt it will. So it's going to be a very intriguing off-season for Ben Simmons uh, to see what happens with him uh, from a Boomers perspective, of course, but also from a Philadelphia perspective. So we'll jump now into the to the Western Conference Finals and we see Phoenix with a 3-1 lead over the Clippers after they come away with a Game 4 win, 84-80. Uh, to 80. Yes, 84-80. to 80. It's actually the lowest winning score uh, all season, right throughout the regular season, and of course during the playoffs. So it was just it was just one of those games where both both teams were absolutely gassed in that last quarter. Phoenix in the last quarter were four from nineteen from the field, and the Clippers were three from nineteen. And the two stars, Chris Paul, uh, was one from seven, and uh, Paul George one from seven as well. And just came down to some some missed free free throws at the end when the Clippers were trying to keep themselves in the game. Paul George missed his first free throw, intentionally missed his second free throw. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins was fouled. He went to the free throw line, made his first, and then I don't know what the hell he was doing on that second one, Caddy, whether he didn't know the rule or whether he was trying to miss on purpose, but he just threw it directly off the backboard, nowhere near the rim, and it was obviously a violation, and that and that basically ended the game. So what have you seen um, in this series so far? It looked early on. Obviously, Chris Paul missed the first two games, and, and Phoenix won those, um, a, an extraordinary game too, which finished with that alley-oop to, to, to DeAndre Ayton. And then the Clippers were able to get game three and you were starting to think, well, can they do what they've done in those first two series and, and work their way back into the in, into the series and maybe come away with a win as they've done in the first two rounds. But Phoenix able to sort of consolidate uh, in the game on uh, Sunday and come away with a win. Does, does it now look like it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that they're going to close this series out? Or have you seen enough from a Clippers perspective to say that there's still a fighting chance in this? Yeah, look, I think the Clippers have been, you know, relatively brave. And we, we obviously understand that Kawhi Leonard, their best player, you know, hasn't been a part of this series at all. But, you know, I think in the end when they weren't able to convert one of those first two games in Phoenix, then the writing was probably going to be on the wall that it was going to be... And they had more really, than enough chances, didn't they? They certainly did. And then, you know, just to be able to not get it done at the end of that game too, which was, yeah, incredible ending across the board. So, um, yeah, I think it was going to be really difficult for them to... to Come through the series, uh, considering you know as you mentioned, Chris Paul wasn't even playing in those those games. They really needed to get on the board in Phoenix uh, through the first two games to give themselves a chance. You mentioned that they've been able to come back from dip two all the way through, but you know you can even tell at the end of that game four, and you talked about players being gassed. You know you just wonder how much they've got left in the tank, and now to have to go back and win two games in Phoenix um, as well as a home game to to progress through to the next round. I, I think it's going to be mission impossible and. You know, the way that last game four sort of fizzled out. And it was a really slow finish to that game. And just with all those foul shots that were getting taken, all the reviews. And, and that's probably one thing the NBA is going to have to look at, I think, moving forward. As, as great as it is, they're getting, you know, the best opportunity to get every decision right. That's just taking the flow out of the game so much. With game two. Right. Game two was ridiculous, wasn't it? I think the last two minutes of, of actual game time took 30 minutes of real time. And, Every bloody thing was being reviewed. And then we had the ridiculous swipe away from Devin Booker 
that Pat Beverly knocked away from him. And technically, yes, it might have brushed Booker's fingernail on the way out, but that it was it was overturned and given to. The, did you see that? I, I I find that ridiculous. I think the NBA have to look at that as well. If if it gets swiped away from from the offensive player and and it just grazes his fingernail on the way out, this, that that can't be off him. That was a crazy call, in my opinion. Yeah, you just wonder where you know the spirit of the game comes into there because clearly, you know, I think the video did show that it did end up coming off Booker as the last touch, but it, the, the 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 process to get to that point was clearly a play on the ball that you'd think, you know, in any reasonable person's mind, it should have been, you know, a Phoenix basketball. So they were, they got out of jail there because then obviously the Paul George missed free throws, which um, again for him, we spoke about last week that you know all all the the past wrongs in playoff history for him may have been forgiven with his you know, almighty play um, at the end of the last series. But he really needed to sink both those free throws and it would have been game over and that, that last play wouldn't have been set up. And then again, like, there's no Well, I think no he's just he's... gas, mate. He's just he's, he's taking on such a huge workload. He's averaging the 27 points during during this uh, series, but he's only shooting 35% from the field. He, he, just, he just looks absolutely gas to me. And the numbers in the last quarter and these missed free throws, like he... I think there was a stat that he'd only missed two free throws in the last quarter all season, and then we've seen him come up short on a couple of these. And I, yeah, you could say maybe he's choking, but I just think he's gassed. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then, yeah, as I said, that last play that was set up, the drawn play for eight and LEF. I mean, there's no, there's no chance they were would have been able to execute a play like that without having that timeout. Which the only reason they had the timeout was because there was another yep. review for where the where the ball had landed. So, you know, from a new from a, a neutral supporter point of view, if you're not right into the NBA, like you're going to be probably um, checking out of some of these games late in, late in the game because they're just going for too long and there's too much breaks in between. And um, it's been a shame because there has been some terrific finishes and some close results. But yeah, the, the way it's been drawn out, yeah, it's got to be looked at. I think with the off season coming up and and it, how, how they can fix it, I'm not sure. But they've got they've got to really review how how they can officiate this a lot quicker. Well, the reviews just take far too long. I mean, I, I don't understand it. There, there's they go to Secaucus, they always say. So that there's some sort of, you know, head head office that are looking at it, and then the referees look at it, and then they all just sort of stand. There seems to be a lot of time where the referees just standing, they're doing nothing. So I'm I'm not sure what the process is, but it certainly needs to be quickened up. I, I I do prefer the right decision to be made, but it just, it just takes far too long for for that decision to be made. So they need to somehow quicken that quicken that process up. So if we're, if we're saying that the the Clippers are done, and I tend to agree with you, it wouldn't surprise me if they won tomorrow and, and got it to game six, but I just think it's, as you said, almost mission impossible. And it's interesting that, you know, we're starting to hear rumours now about what's going on with Kawhi Leonard. There hasn't been anything officially said by the Clippers. There's some murmurings that maybe he's a bit unhappy with the Clippers at the moment. We've seen him sitting up in the stands, surprisingly, with his family and away from the bench and yeah, I'm sure you saw the, the footage yesterday when the Clippers were making the run and, and they panned to uh Kawhi Leonard and he's <laughs> deadpanned and Mike Breen w- was brilliant with his call saying and Kawhi Leonard going off his face or whatever he said it was it was yeah. brilliant but it, it's 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 unusual again with Kawhi Leonard isn't it you, what the hell is going on with him well he's not even flying with the team tomorrow to Phoenix so yeah. he's staying in LA to continue whatever rehab he's done I think for the the, the organisation really were better off coming. And if the guy's got a torn ACL, well, he's got a torn ACL. Well, exactly. Look, look, why would you just it? come out and say it? I mean, we're going to find out eventually. I, I don't understand what's going on. There must be something else going on behind the scenes. And ben, uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo were talking about that today, that maybe there's a bit, bit of discontent from Kawhi Leonard's side. 
Well, that'd be really disappointing, um, you know, considering he's also had a contract at, at the end of this season. But, you know, you think if, if there was any opportunity or any hope that this, this ACL isn't torn and there was any possibility of him playing, well, tomorrow's the game that he would have had to, you know, needed to play. They're on the brink once again. And, you know, there's, there's obviously no second chance from here. So if he was in any position to be playing, it would have been tomorrow. But the fact he's not even flying with the team um, would suggest that his miles off even taking the court again, which is going to be a disappointing end, obviously, for their season. And then, you know, a, another nervous off-season where um, the NBA is going to be waiting around for a decision from Kawhi Leonard as to where he's going to be playing, whether he, he does re-up there and exercise his player options or whether he um, yeah, becomes an unrestricted free agent and let the, let the bidding begin once again. So, yeah, look, I think, as, as we mentioned, the Clippers have, have been brave. I think, you know, they found some really good support in, in some of their secondary guys, Reggie Jackson in particular and, and Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann. They've all had their moments. But, um, yeah, in the end, this Phoenix team are just a bit deeper and a bit more together. And, um, you know, they've been obviously led brilliantly by Devin Booker and Chris Paul and then the incredibly improved play of DeAndre Ayton, who at the start of the playoffs we were really hoping could take this step forward. And I think he's impressed absolutely everyone with, his level of play um, all the way through these playoffs, and it, it, you know, it could hopefully continue for them all the way through to a, a really significant championship run. Has there been anybody who's raised their stock more than DeAndre Ayton during this postseason? You mentioned there that we sort of had question marks about his ability to maybe perform uh, during the postseason. I said uh, when we spoke about this series last week that he was the key for me in this series because you know the Clippers were going to try and go small, and could he exploit them where Rudy Gobert? Uh, couldn't, and he certainly has because they've had to play Zubac huge minutes, much more. I think he played a career-high minutes in game three, I think it was. So they forced the Clippers – well, he has forced the Clippers to go away from the way they prefer to play just because he's been so dominant um, offensively and defensively. He's averaging 20 points a game and 13 rebounds and shooting 69% from the field. It's just incredible. And he he was huge in yesterday's game. His, his offensive rebounding was one of the main reasons that they were able to win that game. And he's just – I know he hasn't grown – uh, he hasn't got any taller or bigger or anything, but he just looks like he just looks so big out there on the court, doesn't he? Just such a, a commanding presence, and I've been just been super impressed with DeAndre Ayton, and he, he's he's the main reason for me that they're going to be able to go to the finals. Well, the only guy I can think of whose stock may have risen just as much is probably the Phoenix former general manager Ryan McDonough, who was fired uh, a couple of years back. Well, he was the guy that <laughs> stiff. that did that did draft DeAndre Ayton, he did draft Mikael Bridges and Devin Booker, so. You know, essentially, he was the guy that put that young core together. And, you know, unfortunately, at the time, they just couldn't. And, and sorry, Cam Johnson was another guy that he drafted, who I think's played terrifically well off the bench in he this series. He just knocks down well. threes when they need him, doesn't he? Yeah, he absolutely does. And he's, um, you know, he came into the NBA, you know, as a more seasoned college player. And I think there was a lot of knocks on him being drafted at the position he was. Yeah, but again, they, got I widely, like, they got widely panned for that one. Yeah, because it was the trade I think they'd made potentially with New Orleans to move back and, you know, and they essentially took Johnson there. But yeah, I think Ryan McDonough might find himself back in a front office um, very quickly because um, yeah, he was quickly shoehorned out of town a while back and he obviously had the, the eight decision hanging over his head in front of a, you know, Luka Doncic. And, you know, I think um, the fact that we've got Trey Young obviously playing in the Eastern Conference Finals and DeAndre Ayton. Super draft. Ones, Unbelievable I think draft. For those franchises that, you know, didn't take Luka Doncic, I think they can all hold their head up as well and, and be pretty confident with the path forward that these young players are going to take them as well. So a shout-out there to um, the former general manager, Ryan McDonough. Yeah, well yeah, well earned. He, yeah, as you said, he's, he's done a super job of putting 
putting this team together. So have you been – what have you seen from Chris Paul since he's got back? He's obviously – you don't know how much the COVID has affected him. He, he, his shots looked very short. He's only shooting 26% from the field since he's come back. He's still knocking down, down his free throws. But he, he certainly hasn't looked like the player that he was – uh, prior to this sort of this break that he was uh, forced to have, do you think it's just a matter of him being a little bit rusty, or or do you think that maybe this COVID is is affecting him a little bit, similar to what we saw with Jason Tatum, who who at times said that he was certainly hampered by having it. You know, hopefully Chris Paul can get over this and play a little bit better come the finals. Yeah, look, I think we've got to assume that it's having a, a massive impact on him because we, you know, we did talk about that throughout the season, and, and Tatum certainly had a much longer layoff than what Chris Paul. Had to have he's come straight back in there, obviously as soon as he was able to get through the protocol. So he's got to be feeling a, a little bit rusty. Um, I think he commented particularly around some of those little short pull up runners that he he had been just killing them with that little mid range. Yeah, he really struggled particularly in game four with that. So look, I think yeah they're going to need some improved play from him, particularly you know if they do progress into the finals. But as I said, they've been able to be able to still get out to this three one lead just with a better better even contribution across their, their entire roster. And um, I think, yeah, I, I, I actually believe tomorrow they'll close this thing out and, um, you know, put a, put, a, put an end to this Clippers pretty gallant postseason run, it, you know, that, that's gone, been up and down like a yo-yo all the way through. But I think home court in Phoenix, they'll be going absolutely nuts. I love. Well, I haven't really loved seeing it, but that guy that um, I don't know if you saw it in the stands, they got in that punch on and Yeah. You know, I think, you know, the four and nil guy, he's become a cult. He has, hasn't he? It's amazing that, that, how that's happened. Yeah, which is the guy that was um, yeah, building the crap out of some Denver supporters in the Was it self-defense? So self-defense, uh, they're proclaiming caddy, apparently. Yeah, so that that, um, that Phoenix crowd tomorrow will be going absolutely off their head, so I think it'll be um, really hard work for the Clippers um, to try and move this, season, uh, move this series any, any uh, further forward. Yeah, I agree. And full credit to you. I think you did go with Phoenix in five. So uh, well done there. I agree. I think it, I think they'll close that out tomorrow. So we'll shift over now to the Eastern Conference Finals. And we saw game three today. And it was Milwaukee that were able to come away with win 113-102 to take the 2-1 series lead. So we saw uh, Atlanta surprisingly take game one. And we started to maybe doubt Milwaukee a little bit. But they've been able to bounce back the last two games. And I thought today was really impressive given the fact that it was, you know, it was the first game at Atlanta. Atlanta got off to that hot start. They're up 25-10 in the first quarter, and they're even up by seven points with seven minutes to go. And and the biggest question mark on Milwaukee has been their their offense in the last quarter. It can become very stagnant, not a lot of ball movement. And and can you rely on somebody to step up in those big moments? Well, it was Chris Middleton who stepped up massively for them today. He had 20 points in the last quarter, including four from six from three. He actually took 13 of, the, 13 of the 18 shots in the last quarter and, and dragged them across the line. He ended up with a player, a career-high playoff, uh, 38 points. So he was fantastic today. Uh, Trey Young was, was sensational again with the 35 points. So for you, Caddy, what have you seen? Is, was it just a matter of Milwaukee sort of correcting a couple of things that they didn't do well in Game 1 and it's now they're, they're probably on their way to the finals? Or, or do you still think Atlanta is, are in with a shot? I think this season, uh, this series is still pretty evenly poised, and it'll depend on the health of Trey Young. We saw him turn his ankle today. I think it was in the third quarter, and have to go into the locker room. He did come back and, and still contribute, but you know, just taking him out of the game for that period of time gave you know did give Milwaukee a bit of momentum. You know, particularly heading into the start of the last quarter that they were able to maintain. So, you know, we've spoken about Milwaukee a fair bit this year in, in terms of you know where's that secondary. Playing player going to come from, and you know whether it can be Middleton on a more consistent basis. 
I mean, if he plays at the level he's played at today while Giannis is still playing it at a similar level, I mean, they're going to be really hard to stop in this series. But it's, we've seen with Middleton over the time, he hasn't been able to consistently do that. So, you know, we, again, today, even in today's game, all, as much as Middleton was terrific, you know, PJ Tucker struggled. He wasn't able to, to do too much offensively. Drew Holiday, once again, two from 11 from the field. Um, so still not being able to get the ball into the hoop. They got a pretty good game or a really good game today off the bench from Bobby Portis. So they have been able to get a bit deeper into that roster, which we which we did sort of think that they were going to require. But essentially, how many you know, players you know, for Milwaukee do you trust? Though that that's going to be a big question mark. I reckon there's only three that you can put your hand on your heart and say I trust them. That's obviously Giannis. Uh, Middleton, and you mentioned today Drew Holiday was, was very poor, and he was, but he'd been really good in the first two games. So for me at the moment, there's three guys you can really trust. Brooke Lopez is really struggling to have an impact in this series because he plays the, the drop coverage, and Trey Young's just floatering him to death, and he's he was a minus 17 in, in his, his plus-minus today and very similar numbers in game one as well. So that would be the big question mark for me going forward. Have they got enough sort of coverage to get through this series? It might it would probably be a different story in the, in, in the finals if they can get through, but have you got some doubt about them you know, having enough around these three guys at the moment? Yeah, I mean, even today, they've had to have 32 minutes with um, Connaughton out on the court. He was a plus 25, which is obviously a, a fantastic number, but that's a really heavy reliance on a guy like that, whereas Bryn Forbes, who had 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 a much more significant role during the regular season, he was only playing the seven minutes today, and he still checked up the six field goal attempts. He was one from six. He drives um, me insane, the shots he takes. I don't know <laughs> who the hell he thinks he is, but he, he's got a very high opinion of his ability to, to hit down some very tough threes. And really, he needs he needs to be consistently a, a ten to fifteen point scorer. I think um, you know from here on in, if if they can get the confidence or the coaching staff have the confidence to get him back into the game, because he does when he is playing well and 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 contributing, then he does take some of that offensive pressure off those three main guys that you mentioned before. So you know, I don't know that you're going to get Middleton averaging thirty eight points from here on in, but you know, he's going to need to to play at a really high level. I think just to get through this series, I still think Atlanta, providing they can, you know, return serve here and, and hold um, this next game at home, you know, then they're still in the in, in, in with a chance for the series. But they're going to need, you know, better better performances out of Bogdanovich in particular. He's the guy that's probably struggled the most offensively. Carrying an injury, isn't he? And he looks nowhere near his best. So he's shooting twenty five percent from the field. So he's, you're spot on. They need much more out of him. Yeah, and, and he's the guy that, you know, really had been for the most season, their, their sort of secondary scorer and, and the guy that could keep things rolling when Trey Young um, either wasn't shooting well or, or having a rest. So, you know, they can't have this humongous reliance on Trey Young um, to do everything he's doing. And uh, he, to his credit, he's doing an absolutely outstanding job, you know, scoring the basketball through these playoffs. But, yeah, they're going to need more out of Bogdanovich. Um, Kevin Herter, you know, we're going to need bigger games from him that, you know, the, what, similar to what we saw in the previous series where he was able to step, in, step into those 20-point type games. They're, they're going to need some more of that the rest of this series. So, yeah, look, I, I think, yeah, they're certainly still still in it, but you've got to obviously give the advantage now to Milwaukee. They're going to, they've uh, been able to, you know, even even things up from the game that they, they did drop. And, you know, if Atlanta at least hold here, they are going to have home court the, the rest of the way through anyway. So they're going to be favoured, but um, no, they've still got work to do to, to make, make the short thing. So, so where do you see it going from here? You, you still sounds like you still think Atlanta are in it. Do you, where do you, how do you see Milwaukee still? Do you see Milwaukee going into the finals from here, or what do you reckon? Yeah, I think they're the team that will most likely progress. I, I'd still give a hope that this series can 
can go all the way to seven, you know, and, and again, that's going to be on the proviso that Atlanta can, can hold up here at home in the next game, obviously. So now I've got hope that they can dig in. They've done such a great job all the way through, you know, playing this, you know, the spoiler game a little bit through here. And I think they've got a couple of scares left in them here for the Bucks. And as you said, they're, they're, you're just not filled with enough confidence yet uh, with Milwaukee as to um, as to them just being able to close this out, like they probably should. Um, but yeah, until we until we see them do it, then I think it's fair to give enough respect to Atlanta to to um, extend the series a bit further. Yeah, I agree. I think Milwaukee will get it done in six. Oh, Trey Young's just been outstanding right throughout the playoffs, hasn't he? I mean, he just doesn't look phased by anything. Averaging thirty-two points, um, he just needs a lot more help. And we've already spoken about Bogdanovich, and their season really clicked into gear when when he was come back from that injury and started playing the ball that he can. So they they certainly need him to stand up. Thought John Collins had been pretty good in this series. He got into some foul trouble today, but he's just become. You know, you you looked at John Collins and you looked at his stats and you and you thought they're a little bit more, a little bit of empty calories. But I reckon he's he's made some real winning plays throughout these playoffs, whether it be some offensive rebounds or some tip dunks, and he's not sort of forcing the issue. And I've I've been really impressed with John Collins. I reckon he's he he's earned himself a good pay packet in the off season. And Gallinari, I guess, is the other one. I mean, I, I mentioned I think it was last week or the week before how slow he is, but he's. He's another one that just doesn't seem phased by the moment. He's been able to put some points on the board for them. So if they can get certainly Bogdanovich playing up to the level that he's capable of and, and John Collins keeping himself out of foul trouble, well, yeah, I, I, I can see them really pushing Milwaukee. But I still do think Milwaukee will get through in six and, and we'll see a, a Phoenix-Milwaukee uh, final series. And that's obviously the way you're leaning as well. Those two, isn't it, Phoenix-Milwaukee uh, in the finals? Yeah, that's how I'd be going now. I think they'd have to both be the, the heavy favourites to, to come through um, the respective conferences. And, and I think that'd be a, uh, an exciting enough final series. I don't think it's one that you would have probably predicted at the start of the season. But um, here we are. And um, I think, you know, Phoenix in particular have certainly, yeah, really proven that they're, that they're a legitimate, you know, championship caliber team. And, and Milwaukee has sort of been a bit of a slower burn, I think, through the playoffs, but have been able to, you know, obviously get through when, when counted. So I think for Milwaukee and and Phoenix to get through would be, um, you know, a pretty pretty good finals matchup. Yeah, I'd, I'd really enjoy seeing that. Just some new blood in there, you know. The, some some players, Chris Paul, you'd love to see him win a win a championship. And then obviously Milwaukee have been through some bumps over the last couple of year, uh, last couple of seasons. Uh, Giannis has won two MVPs now, so it'd just be great for him to have, to have that championship as well. So at the end of the day, if it's both of those teams, you're going to see well any of these teams really. You're going to see some fresh blood and some guys that really deserve to win some some championships. So yeah, I'd be excited if that was the the finals match. Up. So we'll now move on, Caddy, to some Olympic news. And we saw during the week that Team USA announced their squad. And I guess the, the biggest question before this squad was announced was what sort of players would put their hand up and, to, and commit uh, to playing for Team USA. Because we saw at the World Championships a couple of years ago where they finished seventh. Well, it wasn't certainly wasn't an, an all-star uh, uh, field that, that put their hand up to play. It was probably... Uh, Donovan Mitchell was probably the biggest name, um, and he wasn't even the you know the star that he is today. You know, Kemba Walker was there; he'd only made a couple of All Stars at at that stage of his career, and Jason Tatum, I think, was only had only played two seasons. So it was there wasn't a lot of stars that stuck their hand up, but it's certainly a different story uh, this time around. And I guess the Olympics from from an American perspective is, is the big marquee event. So it's probably not a great great surprise that some of the stars have put their hand up to come and play for, for Team USA. But as I said, the, the, squad, the squad was announced during the week and that was Dame Lillard, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, uh, Zach Levine, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday, Kevin Durant, 
Draymond Green, uh, Bam Adebayo, uh, Kevin Love, Chris Middleton, and uh, Jeremy Grant, who I think was an injury replacement for James Harden, who who was going to play, but obviously with the hamstring injury and stuff like that, he he's pulled out pulled out at the last minute. Interestingly enough, Game Seven of the of the NBA Finals is the twenty second of July, so there's obviously a couple of guys there in Drew Holiday and and uh, Chris Middleton and and even Devin Booker that could be involved right to the end of that. And and the first game that the US have to play against France is on July twenty fifth. So there's a very short turnaround. Apparently, these guys are still committed to play. They're going to catch a private uh, plane out straight away and join join their uh, teammates uh, over across in China. So. What, what what do you make of this team, Caddy? It, it, for me, it looks pretty clear cut now that any team with Kevin Durant and, and any kind of talent around him is going to be very difficult to beat. Is that how you see it? Yeah, look, I think they've you know there was obviously concerns about what sort of level of team they were going to be able to send, and and, and I don't think anyone could have begrudged too many players to you know just with the concerns just from a COVID point of view having to ship off internationally, but also just with the the tight timeframes that they're going to be up against, plus the fact they had a shortened off-season as well. So I think the fact that they've been able to put together a roster and probably credit has to go to Greg Popovich and his coaching staff and the admin guys involved with USA Basketball that they have been able to to get a, a team with this sort of calibre to, to commit. So I think once, obviously, you get a couple of the, the bigger names to, to to commit to playing, then the rest of it kind of falls in line. KD was a big um, one, wasn't he? Because, I mean, he's coming off the, these Achilles injuries. He's had a huge workload throughout the playoffs. But I think once a player of Kevin Durant's caliber committed. I, I reckon the other guys fell in line. Well, he was the biggest surprise for me to, 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 oh, to put his hand up, yeah. you know, based on you know having a, a significantly deep you know, playoff run as it was, having to take on that extra burden in those playoff games with some of the injuries they had and the fact you know he, he's coming off the serious injuries and that was really his only first full season back playing. So terrific that he is playing. And then, you know, as you go down the line, I think probably the biggest surprise for me was Kevin Love being, being named and, and strange, know, strange think, one, isn't it? I know he's played for Team USA before, and they like to reward loyalty. But yeah, that that certainly raised my eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, I think um, benefits Kevin Love if he can get some minutes and and show that he's still In Cleveland. Um, I'm sure they'd love to trade him if he plays well. Absolutely. So no, I think you know that was a surprise selection in in terms of him being in in that mix. Um, Draymond Green potentially uh, another one as well. But. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a strong lineup. They're going to have some options. It's probably um, they've gone a bit smaller, uh, it looks like, and surrounded themselves obviously with more more um, first class shooting uh, this time around. So really behind Bam at a bio, they they are pretty thin um, in the big man department. You're probably relying on guys like Draymond Green to play more small ball or Jeremy Grant or someone like that. So yeah, I think that's probably the most glaring. Uh, position where they haven't really taken a, a significant backup in that in that centre spot, which is a lot different to what they did at the World Championships because they had Brook Lopez, Miles Turner, and God knows how, but Mason Plumley on that team, and Bam Adebayo was actually left off that team for those three guys. So you know, I'm sure he's very satisfying for him to make that team. So if you were cra- crafting a starting five from this uh, from the roster caddy, which way would you go? I- I'd I'd go my starting five would be Dame Lillard, Bradley Beal. Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Bam Adebayo. You've got shooting everywhere. You've got really good defenders, guys that can switch. Um, coming off the bench, you've got Booker, who can be some instant offense. Zach Levine, some instant offense. Drew Holiday can be a, a really good defender off the bench. And Draymond Green, as you mentioned, would probably play their small ball five. And I reckon on the outside looking in, Kevin Love, Chris Middleton, and Jeremy Grant probably aren't going to get a lot of minutes. That would be the way that I'd probably shape the roster. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'd be having a pretty similar. I've gone... 
all the same as you and just whether or not, um, if, you know, partic- particularly if um, Devin Booker goes all the way and becomes a, an NBA champion, he, he could take a starting role in front of Bradley Beal potentially. And I've gone Booker, Lillard, Tatum, KD and Bam. Yeah, the guy I think could end up finding himself in the starting lineup depending on, on matchups could be Drew Holiday. They might go that way just defensive. from a defensive um, point of view and, you know, they're not losing too much. They'll, you know, they, they, it just means you might have Booker and Beal coming off the bench and you might start Holiday with Lillard um, in, the, in that backcourt. So just to, to give a, a bit more coverage, because the last thing they want to do is get turn up there thinking that, you know, they've got the big names back in it and it's all going to happen because we have seen that they have had their challenges even when they've sent, you know, really star, star oh, yeah. teams over there. So it's not going to be a walk in the park. So I don't think they can go in being too cute just thinking they're going to shoot everyone out of the gym. So um, that's where a guy like Holiday and Draymond Green to a, to a lesser extent as well defensively are going to be pretty important um, to this roster. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we saw in 2012 when they had that, you know, they had an awesome roster with Kobe, LeBron, Wade, Carmelo, you know, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, the, the list goes on and on. And, you know, they were really challenged by Spain in that gold medal game. And, look, it's probably fair to say that there's no team probably as talented now as that Spain team. But, yeah, there's no doubt there's going to be some some uh, games where they're really challenged. So, as you said, yeah, that they can certainly go for that. And I guess that's probably the, the, the good thing about this roster is, and, and no doubt that's why they've done it, that they've sort of got some guys on the bench that can lock down defensively if, if they do – uh, is some of these opposition teams do get off the chain. So, yeah, look, as I said, I think it looks a pretty foregone conclusion now that uh, KD's involved that the that USA will take out the gold. Um, is that how you're seeing it? It's probably a bit disappointing from an Aussie perspective. We would love to have been a chance to win that gold, but we're obviously still a really good chance to get a medal. We'll probably talk about the Aussies maybe in a week or so and, and, and delve into them a little bit more. But, yeah, is, 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 that, is that how you're seeing it as well? It's basically the USA and everyone else? Yeah, look, I think with this level of roster, they've got to go in as favourite. Um, you know, I think, as you said, we might dig a bit deeper as we get into that last week or two. And, you know, we transition pretty quickly from the, the NBA finals to the Olympics. And, yeah, it'd be good to have a, a bit of a quick look at all the rosters and see which players have essentially put their hands up uh, for their respective countries. And, you know, clearly Australia have taken a bit of a hit with, you know, potential news that Simmons won't be playing. So that changes, you know, their, their potential upside in a, in a significant way, I think there's still going to be a chance to medal. Hopefully, um, without him, they've shown that they're capable of doing that in previous years. But they're going to have to find some you know, some new players to come in, um, you know, with Andrew Bogan obviously not being there as well. I think, yeah, guys like Jock Landale, Nick Kay, they're going to be super important in this run uh, for the Boomers. Yeah, they certainly will be. So as you said, we'll talk about the Boomers in a week or so once we uh, get a bit more of an idea about who's actually going to be involved from a, from a Boomers perspective. So we'll shift over now, Caddy, to, to the coaching carousel. So during the week, we saw four of the franchises announce their new coaches. So Indiana Pacers have brought back Rick Kohler, one of the most respected coaches in the NBA. He previously coached Indiana uh, from 03 to 07, so he's obviously got some some really good recognition uh, from their fan base and, and knows the, the franchise really well. The Dallas Mavericks brought, brought in Jason Kidd, which was a little bit of a surprise. It looked like they were going to lean towards uh, Mosley, who, who'd been the assistant, and Luka Doncic just sort of, you know, vowed for him and, and said he'd like to see him as the coach, but they, they in the end, ended up going with Jason Kidd. Um, Boston brought in Emmy Adoka, who, who's been a, an assistant at a number of uh, franchises, uh, most recently with the Brooklyn Nets. And Portland today, as you mentioned earlier, did announce that uh, Chauncey Billis will be the head coach. He was given a five-year deal. So out of those coaches there, Caddy, which, which one for you was, was the biggest surprise or which one do you think will have the biggest impact? Yeah, look, I like um, Rick Hyler going back to Indiana. I think that, that seems like a, 
a good fit. I think he'll be able to, you know, take a team that, you know, is already, you know, quite a competitive unit and, and hopefully be able to continue to look to improve them. Um, so I, I like the, the fit there for both of those coaches. You know, Boston's the interesting one, you know, with Brad Stevens now, you know, the, the coach's boss. So that's going to be, um, yeah, interesting how that plays out. And it's obviously good to see an assistant coach get that opportunity. You know, Jason Kidd's um, a fascinating story in terms of coaching. You know, he's had a couple of couple of cracks at it and hasn't hasn't worked out incredibly well for him. But he obviously must have enough uh, currency in that market and enough people vouching for him that he can do the job. So, you know, that's, that's Surpri- be- surprising though, isn't it? Because I mean, the Dallas Mavericks—they've had some internal sort of fighting going on. Kidd's done that in previous stops at Brooklyn and Milwaukee. I think he's tried to forced his way out, I think, of Milwaukee to get to Brooklyn or vice versa, sorry, and I think he then tried to to overthrow, you know, the front office at Brooklyn and that didn't work. And then, of course, he's got the history of the domestic violence against his wife where he he did admit to to abusing her and, you know, Dallas had that incident a few years ago or last year even where where it was come out that there had been some um, some abuse from some from some of their guys in their front office towards the women. So it's a little bit surprising that Cuban went down that path given kids' history, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And I, I think that's going to be the most high-pressure job of nearly all of these jobs as well because, you know, we, we've seen Dallas the last two years be a first-round exit. Uh, Luka Doncic is clearly going to be a man in a hurry you know, he's almost an MVP caliber player already. And, you know, th- th- there's going to want to be results pretty quickly. And then you've got the, you know, the Pazingas uh, fit there as well and how that's going to work going forward. So uh, I think that's going to be probably of those of these jobs, one of the most um, closely looked at and, um, yeah, under the most scrutiny as to how, how that moves forward um, in, a, in a really quick matter. So, yeah, Portland's probably not too dissimilar in that, that sense as to, whether you know Damian Lillard's on board with this signing, and um, you know he's a guy that they're just going to need to have to keep happy. He's ready to win at a, at a more significant level, and um, yeah, he's, he's probably sick of floundering in that sort of bottom end of the Eastern Conference um, playoff picture. So yeah, I think of the of all the available jobs, you know the really high level ones are the ones that have been snatched up pretty quickly, and I think the New Orleans Pelicans is probably that next one that. Next domino probably to fall, and then you know poor old Orlando and and Washington will probably get whatever scraps are left after that. Yeah, I think you're right there. <laughs> I, I agree with you from from the Indiana one because I, I think when we earlier on in the season where where we nominated which team we thought would have a really good second half of the year, I I, I nominated the Pacers because when you look at their roster, Sabonis, Brogdon, Miles Turner, Karis Levert, TJ Warren, you know they've got the holidays off the bench. They've certainly got you know Jeremy Lamb. They've got a lot of talent. And they just couldn't obviously quite get it together. And there's obviously some issues with their coach this year. And bringing in Rick Carlo, as I said, one of the most respected coaches in the NBA, I, I think is really good for them. And I could see them jumping right up. And, you know, they're not going to be a championship contender, but I could certainly see them pushing for maybe a four seed and that and that home court advantage in the playoffs next season. And, yeah, and Portland is the interesting one, isn't it? Because Chauncey Billups, again, a much respected uh, player. And, you know, the, his name sort of popped up over the last couple of seasons for – GM roles, firstly, I know he was mentioned a couple of seasons ago, and then obviously now for the coaching role, and hopefully Dame Lillard does stay around and he gets a chance to coach somebody of his calibre because that that would be interesting to see those two sort of work well together. And, yeah, as you said, the three left out of Washington, New Orleans and Orlando. New Orleans is clearly the the one that you'd like to go for because you've got the Zion Williamson factor there. But you mentioned Orlando maybe not. Um, as appealing, but they have got a couple of draft picks there. So if you're choosing between Washington, Orlando, which one would you go for there? 
Oh, look, I think if I was a, a younger, inexperienced coach, I'd take the, that Orlando job. I think you've got more room to build with it. You've got a, a young core there. Um, you know, you've made those significant trades uh, in this season, you know, shipping out Vucevic and Fournier. I think you're going to buy yourself a bit of extra time with that job to, to shape it into into how you want to move it forward. You mentioned the two first-round first picks, pick five and pick eight, that they can take into the draft or trade as well prior to the or during the trade period in addition to that. So I think that would be the more appealing job. I think if you walked into that Washington job, you've still got that big uh, situation with Bradley Beal going to be hanging over your head, whether it's hanging over your head through the off-season into next season or into the following off-season, it's going to be there the whole way through. And then also, you know, similar with uh, Russell Westbrook, I think, you know, you'd, you'd feel positive around the fact, you know, with the Daniel Gafford piece and Thomas Bryant coming back from injury. But I think those two big star players, you, you're going to have to manage that and how, you know, how potentially they exit out of Washington or, or try and find a way to build with them. So I'd be looking at, you know, the, the probably more blanket canvas with Orlando and, and trying to, you know, really improve Mo Bumba and Jonathan Isaac and Marco Fultz. You know, there's some opportunity there for guys that have had injuries who are still young and relatively inexperienced at, at the level uh, to, to really coach and, 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 and put your own stamp on that in addition to these uh, first-round picks that we mentioned. Yeah, you're right. Generally, when you do take over a younger team, you do get that sort of grace period and your first couple of seasons, nothing too much is held against you. So that could be the way to go. But, but I mean, Washington could rebuild as well, couldn't they? They could trade out, build, get all the picks in the world and try and, try and do the same for Westbrook or give up a pick or whatever it may be to get rid of Westbrook. So they're, they're two teams there that could certainly rebuild. So it'll be interesting to see who gets these coaching roles and which sort of path that those two sides in particular do go down. So... We, we, we just mentioned there the lottery. So we did have the draft lottery during the week. Uh, the first eight picks were the Detroit Pistons, uh, pick one, Houston Rockets, pick two, Cleveland Cavaliers got pick three, Toronto Raptors jumped right up and got pick four, which was massive for them. The Orlando Magic, as, as you mentioned, got pick five. Okay, see the big losers out of this come away with pick six. So in a dream scenario, they could have got pick one, their own pick, and then got pick five as well because they had the Houston Rockets pick, which was a top four protected pick. And in the end, they only come away with pick six, and they were probably the biggest tanking team in the back half of the season. So maybe maybe the basketball gods caddy caught up with them and they ended up with pick six. Uh, Golden State got pick seven from Minnesota, um, and Orlando come away with pick eight. They got that in that Nick Vucevic trade uh, with Chicago, which, which was done at the trade deadline. So... For you, Caddy, which team there was was the one the biggest winner out of out of the draft lottery night? Well, I think it was Houston. Clearly, they were able to hang on to that top three protected pick and had that fall at pick two in a three or four man draft was you know a significant uh, win for them. Absolutely, in in their position that they that they currently find themselves. So to be able to you know lock in a, a really significant uh, first round pick and hopefully a franchise level player at that selection was, was outstanding for them. I think Golden State being able to con- convey that pick, oh sorry, Minnesota conveying that pick to Golden State this year. Obviously, there were some protections around that as well, and that fell, fell outside them. Um, I think it was going to go unprotected from next year, but you know, then you're still banking on Minnesota being they'd have to be a bottom six level side, which you know I, I think they're probably, you know, from their point of view, looking to improve clearly on on where they've been this year. So I think for Golden State to be able to lock that pick in there, uh, which is sort of the the end part of that D'Angelo Russell trade. And Andrew Wiggins, I think, is a good result for them. Do you see them trading that, or do you think they'll make that pick? I mean, there's obviously rumours floating around that they might package up Wiseman, 
the pick two from last year, um, this pick here that they've got from Minnesota, and maybe an Andrew Wiggins and try and bring you know Ben Simmons has even been mentioned. Can, do you think they'll do you think they'll trade that pick and sort of try and you know pry open that window that championship window when they get Clay back for a little bit longer? Yeah, you'd think so. I think they've got that opportunity. They also have their own pick at pick fourteen too, so they're going to have two picks inside fourteen. Uh, they can either look to you know pair together to move further up in the draft if they think they can do that and and, and nab one of these you know top four guys if, if one of those teams are looking to to package picks I, I'd I'd say that probably the lesser of of the case but I think yeah they're in an opportunity if they need to to um to trade out of the draft if if there's nothing that's jumping off the off the board for them yeah they'll be able to get something done then. So, so what about from from your perspective, Caddy? I know you're a Chicago Bulls fan. That that's just a, a disastrous outcome, isn't it? They they bring in Vucevic, they miss the play in tournament. They can't even get a top ten seed in the East, and and now they've given up. You know, pick eight to Orlando. That, that that's got to be the worst case scenario. Yeah, look, it, it was tough, and that was the risk, obviously, with the trade. Um, you know, they 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 had a really ordinary season, as we know, and then. I don't think it's ended that well for them, to be honest, having to to give this pick. If if it landed in the top four, obviously they were able to to hang on to that and, and they didn't get the, the lottery luck this time around. So they'll hand that over. There's still another pick to come in future yeah, in twenty twenty three that, you know, could look pretty similar to that they'll have to um move move on as well. Um so really it, it didn't work it didn't work out for them uh this year, clearly not being able to get into the play in. Look, I think Vucevic seemed to settle in reasonably well and play well. But that you know they've got some probably higher level um, roster decisions to make going forward. Obviously, the Laurie Markkinen restricted free agent. They got Kobe White's had um, you know significant off season surgery, so he could have a delayed start into next year. So look, I, I think you'll see Chicago be even um, continue to be aggressive in this off off season and try and surround Levine and Vucevic with um, and Patrick Williams with some with some more um, high level talent. I think that's the the way they've got to go from here. They've obviously cashed in their draft capital and um yeah this this hasn't you know really worked out for them for 2021 um uh, but that's the risk i suppose they were prepared to take yeah well they've really got no choice now do they than to to keep pushing those chips in and, and hope that something comes up for them what about the toronto raptors that, that that's huge for them isn't it because they're obviously you know if everybody was healthy they just had one of those years they were, they were away from home they they they, were, they had a lot of injuries they they'd covid ab- absences they, they everything possibly went wrong for them and now they've come away with pick four in what people are saying is a pick is is a five player or at worst a four player draft. So that they're right on that cusp. There, we're not going to pretend to be draft experts because we don't follow the college basketball scene all that much. But that that is a huge get for them, isn't that to come away with pick four? Yeah, I think it was a, a good result for them. That you know they were probably on the brink there for most of the season, right on the border of sort of pushing into that sort of play in run, and then. By the end, it was just everything. It was a bit too hard uh, for Toronto, and they sort of fell down. But then to to be re- to be rewarded with the the fourth pick is, is certainly significant. Uh, gives them some options, you know. Gives them options around obviously just taking the pick and, and taking that best available player, whoever that may be, or you know they can can look to trade. They still have some some pretty good young talent on that roster that they you know they might still think they're they're potentially in the window, depending on what happens with Kyle Lowry. And you know I'm sure they 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 still think really highly of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and OJ Ananobi. So, you know, they might think there's still another run in them and, and potentially use that that pick to, to add, you know, more uh, veteran talent to that team potentially. So they're in a good position with that and, and certainly a, a good result for them to come out of the year. Certainly was. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. Did Toronto keep, them as you, keep their pick, as you said, Golden State? There's some rumours that maybe Cleveland might 
maybe look to move down in the draft. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the draft shake, shakes out. Even though I don't watch the, the college ball, I always I love the draft. I, it takes me about three days to get through a caddy because it goes for about four hours, but I, I love sitting down and, and watching that. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Uh, when we speak this time next week, the finals uh, should probably be just about to start, so it'll be a really exciting time of year, and I'm looking forward to breaking down how the, how the finals are, are going to shape out. As I say every week, uh, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast, uh, jump on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. That would be much appreciated, and also jump on the Facebook page there and like that and even share that. Um, to some of your fellow friends who might be interested in basketball, and that would certainly help us spread the uh, spread the podcast around. Uh, until next week, talk to you then.